The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money. Hi, welcome to the Online Marketing Show. This is Joey Bushnell. Today's special guest is Bob Berg. Go to berg.com to find out more. Bob, thanks for being on the call with me today. Hey, Joey, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Before we begin, I just want to give you a quick introduction for Bob. Bob Berg shares information on topics vital for the success of today's business person. He speaks for corporations and associations internationally, including Fortune 500 companies, franchises, and numerous direct sales organizations. Bob regularly addresses audiences ranging from size 50 to 16,000, sharing the platform with notables, including today's top thought leaders. He is perhaps best known for the book he co-authored with John David Mann, The Go-Giver, a business parable that both touches hearts and builds bigger bank accounts. He's also known for the follow-up book, Go-Givers Sell More, and his other books that he has written or co-authored include Endless Referrals, Adversaries into Allies, It's Not About You, The Art of Persuasion, and The Last Prospecting Guide You'll Ever Need. Bob is a strong believer that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. So Bob, once again, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show today and I'm a big fan of your books. What I want to talk with you about today is this concept that you teach, which is about how people will make money directly proportional to the amount of the people that they serve. Sure. So Bob, can we start off by finding out a little bit more about you and how you got started in this industry? Yeah, well, really, Joey, I started out wanting to be a uh, sportscaster uh, on television. I actually ended up uh, a sportscaster on radio and then a newscaster on television for a small uh, affiliate station in uh, the, in the states. And I really, you know, I really wasn't very good at it. Uh, I could I could communicate okay, but really, I, I wasn't very newsy. <laughs> I probably wasn't nosy enough to be newsy, whatever, but uh, it, it really wasn't something that I, I ended up being as passionate about as I thought I might be. And and so really just as a way of making some extra money while I was there, I went into sales, selling advertising time and, and found out that I, I kind of enjoyed it, uh, but I really had no skills. I had no sales skills, selling skills. In fact, I didn't even know there was any such thing as selling skills. So mm-hmm. I thought it was just something where you knocked on doors, you tried to find people who you could help you know, get your product or service, and that, that was it. Uh, it wasn't until you know, a while later that I would come across a book in a bookstore called How to Master the Art of Selling by Tom Hopkins, who's just one of our you know, great, outstanding, long-time sales teaching legends here in the in the US and and the, the great thing first was just seeing the title it was how to master the art of selling and that said to me wow you know there's a system for that you know there's there's actually a way to do it that can that if i just follow it will help me so i i got the book and uh, I started studying it. I mean, I didn't read it. I studied it. I devoured it. I highlighted it and, and underlined and took notes, and I practiced and 
I drilled and I rehearsed, as he tells us to do in the book. And, and uh, almost right away, my sales began to turn around, which says to me, and for people who are following you and, and your system and everything you're teaching and, and, and uh, connecting them with, that if, you, you know, if there's something you want to accomplish, you simply find the system, find a way to do it. Because pretty much whatever you desire to achieve or, uh, or attain has already been done by someone else. And that person has, has system. They learned a system, or they, they probably didn't create it, but they probably added to something else and, and, and uh, made it even a little bit more effective. But they've probably documented it. So uh, however, what it is, whatever it is you want to do, find out who's done it and find out how they did it and, and then start to, to utilize it. And that's really what I did. And from there, I, I started to really do well in sales and, and work my way up to sales manager of a company and saw that I could kind of teach it to other people. And at, at that point, I knew I wanted to, to have a business doing it. Uh, and I joined National Speakers Association, which is an association of professional speakers, and where I could really learn the business of speaking, not so much how to speak, although that's a small, that, that's a small part of it, really, because that's sort of the baseline, like any product or service. You've got to have a great product or service, but it's really understanding the business aspect and how to run it as a business. So I've been doing it for about, gosh, now 17 or 18 years, and it's been a lot of fun and very rewarding, and I've had a few books out uh, as a result. And really, the, the first book I, I wrote, Endless Referrals, was really just as a way of positioning myself as a speaker uh, to become uh, more known as a speaker and to be able to get higher fees. And it sort of morphed a little bit into, uh, and now I've had, I think, about five or six books out now and a, a bunch of CD programs, and, and they sort of are ancillary uh, to my business. It all is, is a, ma- a matter of of helping people own information that's of value to them that can help them uh, attain success in their endeavors. Bob, your book, Endless Referrals, is considered by many to be one of the best books ever written on the topic of networking. In your own words, what is networking and why does it matter? Sure. Well, you know, and Joey, I appreciate the compliment. There's there's a lot of people out there, though, that, that really are excellent teachers of, of networking and people who I've admired and who uh, who I think do a terrific job. And, and I, you know, and I tell people it's one thing to get my book, Endless Referrals, and I think it's a book that is, is good for anyone to, to read and utilize. But there's books out there. But, you know, mine should not be the only book on networking you ever get, because while most of us who sort of have what I believe is the correct idea on networking, we all also have have our own little tweaks to it that we put in uh, that can be of value. So I think it's like when you learn anything, uh, you want to learn a particular system. You don't want to go all over the place, but uh, you know you still want to read up as much as you can about it. And as long as the, the principles are in alignment with each other, there's a lot to learn from uh, you know from different people. Basically, you know, I define when I when I define networking, it's it's also important to define what it isn't because to too many people still surprisingly to me, but to too many people they when they they hear the word networking, they still get a picture in their mind of that stereotypical fast-walking, slick-talking sales guy type who sort of shoves a business card into everybody's face and says things like, hey, give me a call, I'll cut you a deal. (laughs) And and that, of course, is, is not networking. I define networking as simply the cultivating of mutually beneficial give and take, win, win, relationships, the emphasis on the give part, on the adding value part. And when you do that, 
uh, when you when you network in this way, uh, when you're concerned about the other person, their wants, their needs, their desires, and of course, when following a, a proven system of doing so, you can absolutely accelerate not just your referrals, but just the, uh, the just the the huge number of of A list high quality prospects uh, who you know who feel real good about you. My next question is an old age question. It seems to be in every religion, ancient philosophies. It seems to be in wise stories as far back as we can go. And it's this idea that there is some correlation between giving and receiving. And I'm just wondering, what is your view on that? Why do we receive when we give? Well, I think the correlation is is, as natural as can be. And it's just sowing and reaping. I mean, we know there are are certain times, you know, you, you sow and then you cultivate and you reap. And it's like that in everything. Um, and, you know, it's the, the same thing here. Why is it that when you give and give of yourself, you put yourself in a position to be able to receive? Now, notice I said you put yourself in a position to be able to receive. I didn't say that you necessarily do receive. And there's a lot of people who say, oh, but I give and I give and I give and I don't receive anything back. Well, that's Probably because they're either, number one, giving with an agenda, with an attachment to having to get something back. So they're not really giving. They're trading. Okay? But the other thing is they may have, for some reason or another, some kind of an emotional resistance to receiving. And that also goes back to so often when we, you know, we've been told whether it's in childhood or whether it's from environment or whether it's in school or through the media or in, you know, where we say, oh, well, the, the good people, you know, they give and they give and they give the mean people they get, you know, that sort of thing. And of course, that's so untrue. Uh, it's, it's what John David Mann, my brilliant co-author of The Go-Giver, the guy who really is the, the brilliant storyteller, he calls this the treacherous dichotomy. Uh, I call it the false dilemma, which, and they both mean the same thing. It's the unnecessary use of the word or. It's sort of like, you know, do you want to be wealthy or happy, as though you can only be one? Well, of course, you can be both. Are you a giver or a receiver, as though you can only be one. Of course, you can be both. Are you a nice person, or do you finish first? Well, of course, you can be. You can do both. And so, you know, what is the correlation? The correlation is when you give, which is really in this case, and we talk about this in the book, The Go-Giver, it's really nothing more than just uh, uh, shifting your, your focus to understand that, you know, if you take your focus off of yourself and put it on adding value to others, you understand that that's the person who, who not only lives a great life, but a very financially profitable uh, life as well. And that's because when you give, 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 you're adding value to other people's lives. You're, you're planting, you're sowing the seeds, you're watering the seeds, you're getting the reputation of a person who's a person of value, who brings value to every relationship. The key, though, Joey, and this is so important, is that it's not that you don't expect to receive. People say, oh, we should give without expecting to receive. I, you know, I don't agree with that. I always expect good things to happen. Why wouldn't we go... Why wouldn't we have positive expectation? But I think what they mean, which is correct, is that you give without the attachment, without the emotional attachment to having to receive, either from that person or or anyone else. 
And what happens is, as you do this and you give in such a pure way, you give from your, your head and you give from your heart, you give, you know, not to get, you don't give to get, you give to give. You give because you truly love adding value to people's lives. But if you do this, you plant so many seeds of goodwill with people, uh, and you develop so many people who, who, relationships with people who know you, they like you, they trust you, they want to see you succeed, they want to help you find new business, that you find that now you're attracting all these other successful go-givers in your life, and wow, now your business is a lot more fun, it's a lot less stressful, and it's certainly a lot more profitable. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. You mentioned there that sometimes we might not be open to receiving, whether consciously or subconsciously, perhaps not feeling worthy to receive, maybe. Um, I'm just wondering if there's anything we could do to overcome that mental objection. Yeah, that's a great, great question, Joey. There's a couple things. One is to be aware of it, and that's the most important. Well, not the most. It's it's half the battle, to, to be aware of it, okay? To understand there's something blocking you. And it's hard to admit sometimes, because who wants to admit something like that, okay? And, and yet we have to step up and say, okay, there's a reason why if I'm doing these other things and I'm not receiving, it's not because it doesn't work. It's been proven to work too many times. What am I, you know, why isn't? Then you say, well, is it because I'm, you know, is it because I don't feel I deserve it? Is it because it's a control issue? Is it something where I don't want to owe someone? Is it, or have I been in my past told that it's, it's bad to receive, that, you know, Wealthy people are, you know, what have you. Now, here, to get over it, though, there's so many people who, you know, coaches and, and people like yourself who help people overcome this. And so many people that, you know, it, it, you can find someone who can help you who will. There's a great book that I suggest. It's a, it's a book that helped me immeasurably. I, I think I read it first time about 25 years ago. Then I read it about 10 years ago, and I'm reading it again now. It's just the kind of book. It's just a, a wonderful book that really answers this question. It's called Psycho-Cybernetics. Oh yeah, I've read that one too. Maxwell Maltz is great. Maxwell, Dr. Maxwell Maltz, absolutely. Psycho-Cybernetics. And to me, he talks about how the mind is a servo mechanism, uh, and it will serve us as we believe we're supposed to, things are supposed to happen. And so if unconsciously you know, we think we're not deserving of receiving. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen. Well, what he also does in this book is he shows you how to get past it, and that's the key. So it's, it's it being conscious of it is first. That's important. But then it's having a game plan uh, to be able to, to go over. That's, you know, why having a coach is so important when you have something that you need, someone who can hold you accountable and, and help you with it. But that book is a great start uh, to getting past that. I agree. Everyone should go give that a read. Okay, moving on to my next question. In any sort of sales, marketing, or even training situation, there is an aspect of persuasion involved where you want to come to an agreement or negotiation or just show that your offer is of value and can help them. But is persuasion unethical? If not, what is the difference between persuasion and manipulation? Sure. And, you know, and that's a, it's really a, a terrific question. Uh, and it was answered really, I think, brilliantly by a guy named Dr. Paul Sweats. Uh, he wrote a book called The Art of Talking so that people will listen. And I, I absolutely loved what he said about this. He said, manipulation aims at control, not cooperation. And by its nature, it results in a win-lose situation. See, it, it doesn't consider the good of the other party. It's totally eye-focused. Now, in contrast to the manipulator, Dr. Sweat says, the persuader seeks to enhance the self-esteem of the other party. You know, he, he, the persuader wants to add value to the other person's life. Now, the result is that people respond better 
Why? Because they're treated as responsible, self-directing individuals. So really what it comes down to, you know, when you get past that whole explanation is intent. Why are you doing it? Uh, Are you doing it because you truly want to add value to someone's life? Or are you doing it because you're just wanting to get something from that person? Now, you know, we need to be careful here because just because we think we're doing someone something that's going to that's gonna help another person, that doesn't mean they feel that way. So it doesn't mean that persuading them to take that action is the correct thing to do. But what persuasion does mean is that when something does seem to be based on your value system, the correct thing, then obviously, you know, you are persuading. You are you are presenting yourself and the situation, the, the product, the service, the benefits in such a way as to help persuade or help that person take the appropriate action that's going to add value to their lives. Sure. And I suppose integrity and honesty make all the difference as well. Is that right, Bob? That's key. When, when that's not the guiding principle, then it's often manipulation. Sure. So you don't ever want to misrepresent the offer or the value that you're giving. You always want to be very honest. Absolutely. You know, the, it, the, the manipulator, and hey, and, and that's not to say there aren't manipulators that haven't been financially successful. There have been, but a couple things happen. First, it tends to catch up to them, and they tend to either go out of business eventually or, or in jail or, or we're much worse off than someone else. Not, not always, but usually. They're also the type they don't build a referral business. They can't. They're not trusted. I mean, people end up feeling badly about doing business with them. So it's the person who acts out of a principle base of honesty and integrity that ends up, you know, developing these no-like and trust relationships with people where people are become what I call their personal walking ambassadors. They sing their praises. They say, this is the person to do business with because this person cares about you and wants to help you, wants to add value to your life. And, you know, it's really, you know, anything else to say it makes it more complicated than it really is. You know, again, it's not that there aren't people who can't get away with being real con artists. They they can be. But they're not salespeople. They're con artists. And, you know, life is full of them, which is why, uh, you know, you've, all, you've got to know how to defend yourself against them. And that's why when anyone is in sales, they're basically representing everyone else in sales. And the best thing we as salespeople can do, professional salespeople, is get the manipulators, you know, out of the business. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. you know, like anything else, it's a big world. So there's always going to be people who, who don't do things the way we would like. But those people, they can't build any sort of sustainable, long-lasting business. It's hard to build a sustainable, long-lasting, profitable business when you're not authentic and when you're not, you know, when you're when you're a manipulator. Bob, you mentioned about your happy customers being your personal ambassadors, people who have had such a great experience with you that they want to tell everyone else. So, how can we create those really good relationships and get customers to feel that way about us? Well, you know, we keep in mind a very basic premise, and and you've you've. Um, uh, you've, you've sort of mentioned it a couple of times, and, and I, I know this is how you operate, and it, it's basically this, that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. It really comes down to that. So, you know, one of the things we do is we put ourselves in situations where people can know us. Because obviously, you know, you've got to know who someone is or know of them before you can do business with them. Yeah. Uh, we have to 
be able to communicate likability. It's not just a matter of being a nice person. Uh, it's a matter of being able to communicate that, that likability. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a, in a moment. And then trust. And trust is very important. You know, I, right now, uh, at least in the U.S., uh, we're kind of living in, in a, a context of really it being a low-trust society. Books have been written on this. Uh, Stephen M. R. Covey, uh, son of the famed Dr. Uh, Stephen Covey of Seven Habits, well, Stephen M. R. Covey wrote a terrific, terrific book on uh, trust called The Speed of Trust, and it was magnificent. And, you know, really that's the, the main thing, because when there's trust, things happen, and they happen fast, but when there's a lack of trust, things happen very slow. It can, it can come to a crawl, and it just kind of slows up everything. So what we've got to do is we've got to keep in mind as we create these relationships that no one like is important, but trust is really, it's a key thing. As, as, as Mr. Covey says, uh, they've, got to, um, they've got to trust both our, our level of competence and our character. In fact, he puts character first, character and competence. Uh, so we do the things that communicate that. And, Joey, this happens well before we, we even get to do business with them or, or receive referrals from them. You know, it's easy to say, well, once the person's doing business with me, then great, I'll show them how trustworthy I am. Uh-uh, that's not going to work. There's just too, much, you know, too many other people out there who want that business, and, and you know, they're willing to do that same thing. No, so you've got to be willing to do those things first. And here's where you've really got to be a go-giver and where you've really got to, to, to look at how you can provide value to that person in a way that that person will feel valued and feel as though it's, it's valued. And we, you know, I know one of the things that you talk about is asking questions. Well, you know, we ask questions because it's a, a, it, it, for a couple reasons. One is because we, we're, we then are able to focus on the other person, not ourselves. And it's the person who can take the focus off themselves. Instead of being I-focused, they're other-focused. That's the person who ends up accomplishing the most and establishing these no-like-and-trust relationships. Another reason for asking questions is because it's a great way to make other people feel good about themselves when we ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. And you can do this, and here's one way of communicating that likability, right when you meet someone new. And, you know, just being in a conversation with someone new, whether it's at a business mixer or event or a charity function or, or your child's ball game, it, it, it really doesn't matter. But it's, it's asking that person once you, you've, you've introduced yourselves and asking what they do for a living, which is very uh, appropriate to ask someone what they do. And people are generally very happy to tell you, and, and they'll ask you. And it's at this point we've got to make sure that we don't talk about ourselves. We can answer the question, but what we don't want to do or what we might want to do but we, we know we should not do is to go on and on about our business because that person doesn't care at this point. There's no reason for them to care. Instead, let's ask them about themselves and their business. And, and the, the questions, the type of questions we want to ask are not salesy questions or prospecty type questions, but simply what I call feel-good questions. And these are questions that basically just make this person feel relaxed and at ease. It helps develop rapport and makes this person feel good about you. Just a couple of the questions that I I use are simply, how did you get started in your business? How did you get started selling copying machines? Or how did you get started as a physician? Or how did you get started in the supermarket business? Whatever it happens to be. Another question is, what do you enjoy most about what you do? 
Now, this question is so much different from what we're often taught in sales, that we're supposed to find this person's pain right away. Well, you know, there's a time and place for everything. And the fact is, when you're in a presentation, there are times legitimately you have to help a person see that by not utilizing this, you know, your product or service, it's going to cause them pain as opposed to helping them with, you know, whatever. But right now is not the time to be finding pain for someone. Right now is the time for them to be feeling good. And so, you know, you can ask these couple of questions. If you're talking to somebody in sales, you can ask what I call the one key question, which is simply, uh, Gary, how can I know if somebody I'm talking to would be a good prospect for you? What a difference in asking that question from everyone else who's just focused on themselves. Instead, you're communicating to this person, hey, I want to add value to your life. You know, I want to I want to find a way to help you accomplish your goals, and that's a question that not only will they appreciate, they'll have an answer for. You know, if if he's a a copying machine salesperson, he'll probably say something like, "Well, if you're ever in an office and you notice a a copying machine, and next to it is a waste paper basket that's uh, filled." to the rim and, and, and uh, overflowing with crumpled up pieces of paper, that's a good sign that copying machine's been breaking down a lot lately, and that would be an excellent prospect for me. So just through asking a couple of questions, you've not only shown this person that you're a person who, who desires to bring value to their lives, you've gone a step further and actually asked them how you could do it. Mm-hmm. So these are the things that just sort of help in developing the initial know, like, and trust. You know, the next thing you do is you want to focus on introducing them to people who they will find valuable in their lives and who they'll be of value in others' lives. Uh, You want to send them appropriate information when possible. Whenever you can, of course, you want to find business for them. And it's not always business. Uh, I remember one prospect of mine whose daughter had just graduated university, and after asking what she had uh, studied, I asked uh, how I could be a help in her in her getting her start in her career, and he was delighted about that. And he told me, and I ended up introducing him to a uh, another person who owned a company. And this person, my prospect's daughter, went to work for the person as an intern. So you know, all these things really help in establishing relationships. The key is to genuinely care about adding value to that other person's life. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense, Bob. On that topic of likability. Being egocentric creatures, as we all are, we're always thinking about our own stuff. And the first time I heard about this concept was many years ago when I read the book How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And when I read the chapter on talking to people about themselves, it was something that really opened my eyes. In the weeks and months after reading it, I became really consciously aware that I'd been doing it totally wrong and hadn't been as genuinely interested in people as I should have been. So I tried my hardest after that. And I could really see the difference when I was talking to people about themselves, that they suddenly became much more open and friendly to me and that they suddenly showed a lot of liking towards me, even though we had only talked about them. Um, However, since that time, I've slipped back into bad habits, I must admit. So how can we actually keep that fresh on the brain? Because it's something that you do have to exert some conscious effort to be able to maintain. Well, that's a that's a great point. You do have to exert conscious effort, especially when it's not yet a part of your natural being, when it's not part of your nature. So, you know, you read a book like Carnegie's, and that's great, but you also, you know, you get the tape series or the CDs, and you listen to that over and over and over again. And you make sure it's a book you keep reading over and over and over again, or you make sure that every day, you know, you pick 
pick it up and read a chapter, you know, just for a while until you really start to get used to it. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to keep up like anything else. Uh, I love what Zig Ziglar says, you know, that people say motivation uh, doesn't last. And then Zig says, well, either does taking a shower. That's why we recommend it daily. You know, the fact is, it, it's an ongoing type of thing. However, the the more you do it, uh, the 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 more natural it becomes. You know, you you do change the brain, you do change the the synapses, and you change the cells, and you you change the the whole makeup of your. And as you do it, and and you know, your mind gets this in their mem- in its memory. Uh, it, you'll soon be doing it. And it, will you ever lapse? Of course, we all do. But I think as long as we keep it at you know at, at uh, top of mind awareness as much as we can, and we continue to to, to read and study and listen. Uh, then, then it doesn't become a challenge. It's just something that you, you know, you, you end up doing routine maintenance, but it becomes much more a part of you. Sure. So it becomes a habit and becomes part of our nature. It becomes second nature to us. Exactly. Well, for me personally, Bob, now that we've spoken about this, I'm going to make an extra effort to start communicating in that way again. I did it very well for at least a little while, but regressed perhaps. And I think uh, I still do okay, but I could do a lot better. Hey, we all could, you know. Yes, for sure. We've spoken about asking the right questions. Are there any other ways we can make people feel really good about themselves? You know, I think it's in a sense, it's just keeping in mind to to sort of just ask yourself, what would make this person feel good in this situation? What would make them feel badly in this situation? And don't do it. You know, I mean, there's never... a there's there's never really a, a you know all things being equal there's never a need to to shame or make someone feel badly about themselves people walk around with an invisible sign around their neck that says make me feel good about myself so before we speak we edit our speech we say you know is what i'm about to say is it going to build and edify or is it going to tear this person down? Is it going to make this person feel good about himself? Is it going to encourage them? Or is it going to tear them down and make them feel badly? And, you know, there's really not a whole lot more to it than that. There's, uh, you know, it, it's almost so simple that we almost try to make it more difficult than it is. But we can practice, too. You know, like a muscle that we, we strengthen by, uh, by, you know, doing uh, lifting weights, we can also practice our kindness. Uh, we can build our kindness muscle. Uh, by practicing, doing those little things. You know, I say, hold the door open for someone. It doesn't matter what gender the person is. If someone's going to walk through it, open it up and, and let them go in first. It's smiling at someone when you pass by them. You don't wait for them to smile first. You smile at them and you say good morning. And, you know, it's those little things we can do that sort of build those muscles that help us to make people feel good. But, you know, when it really comes down to it, Joey, it's really just asking yourself the question, what can I do at this very moment that's going to help this person feel better about themselves? And then do it. Bob, what about the other side of the coin to speaking, which is listening? And, again, this is something as human beings, I think it comes more naturally to some than others. I know that for me personally, sometimes I have to, again, consciously make an effort to listen. Um, But I do know that it's a really important principle. Could you explain why listening is such an important thing in communication and how can we be better at it? Yeah, well, there are a couple, and I'm like you are. I mean, uh, it's something I have to work at because my, my tendency is to speak. (laughs) <laughs> when really it's so much more important to listen. So why is listening important? Well, there's a couple reasons. One, when we listen, we learn. It's really yeah. difficult to learn when we're talking. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, teaching is a good way to learn. But 
Still, <laughs> yeah. we we really don't learn as much when we're talking. We learn when we're listening. And the, the sages of old said, who is a wise person? And the answer is that person who learns from all others. And we learn best by observing. And part of observing is listening. So listening is important. It helps us grow. For very selfish reasons, it's actually very important to listen and be a good listener. It's also a way of honoring the other person. And we honor that person by listening, not listening in order to talk, but by listening in order to listen, to really hear them, to really get what they're saying and where they're coming from. And you know what? When someone feels listened to, they like you. They feel good about you. And they recognize the value you have in their life. And, you know, there's people, and I was just talking to a person uh, the other day, uh, or, uh, this is just a, she's a very good friend of mine, and she said that she was feeling, um, I'm trying to think of the exact word, a little bit stuck. And I said, well, what's happening? And she started to tell me. And, and I, you know, I wasn't sure if she wanted me to, to give her answers or if she wanted me to listen. So I said to her, I just asked her the question. I said, do you want me to, to give you the answers I think are correct, or do you want me to listen? Or I said, or do you want me to just listen? And she said, right now, I just want you to listen. I said, okay. You know, and that was it. She needed to be listened to. She needed for someone to, to be able to acknowledge that she was going through something and she was feeling stuck. And that was it. That's what she needed. So, you know, we, we, so my friend Steve Shapiro, the late Steve Shapiro, and he was just such a nice, nice guy. But Steve said there's really two steps when it comes to effective listening. He said, ask a question and then listen. You know, I mean, that's really what it's all about. So, so it is important. It's important for our own benefit, and it's important for the other person's benefit. Sure. And, and again, that's a win-win situation. Mm-hmm. Bob, why is authenticity so important in sales, marketing, and networking? Well, you know, it's, it's so important that John David Mann and I, in the, in the Go-Giver, we actually had that as our fourth. We, you know, we had five laws of, of success we talked about. Authenticity was the fourth law. It's, it's that important. And in the story, because the, the go-giver was a, a, a parable, a business fable, Deborah Davenport, one of the characters, learned that, that all the skills in the world, all the sales skills, the technical skills, even the people skills, which are, and, they're all, and they're all important, all the skills, as important as they are, they're all for naught if you're not your authentic self, if you're not you, and just as importantly, if you cannot communicate that sense of authenticity. There's power in authenticity, and one reason is because it is simply based on one's integrity. And I, I guess we could, and I'm, there are many definitions, uh, I believe, of integrity, but 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 uh, that people have used. But one definition could be when you know when everything you think, and everything you feel, and everything you say, and everything you do are in alignment. And when that's the case, Joey, then you're authentic and people can tell that you're authentic and they know they're dealing with the real person. And people feel, and you know, we're wired this way. It has to do with consistency. Dr. Robert Cialdini talks about this in his great book, uh, Influence, uh, uh, Science and Practice. We're wired to have more trust and faith in people who are consistent. And when people are in integrity, they tend to be very, very consistent and very trustworthy sure and i definitely agree we are definitely wired to sense that on people that is something that we can detect uh, we've, we've got an authenticity radar perhaps 
You mentioned there the five laws that you wrote about in your book, The Go-Giver. For those who haven't yet read the book, very briefly, what are those five laws? Well, the five laws, number one is the law of value, uh, which says your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. And, And that, of course, is when you first hear that, it sounds a little bit counterintuitive. How do you give more in value than you take in payment and not go broke? Never mind, you know, make money. Well, you, we've simply got to understand the difference between price and value. That price is a dollar amount, a dollar figure, where value is the relative worth and desirability of something to the end user. And when you understand the, the significant difference between the two, you understand exactly how that works. Uh, law number two is the law of compensation, which says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. So not only do we have to add terrific value to people's lives, we also have to touch the lives of a lot of people. The value you provide is your potential income. The number of lives you touch through that value is your actual income. Sure. Number three is the law of, of influence, which simply says your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Now, again, this sounds counterproductive, but it's actually very practical. Again, when we go back to the fact that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. Well, there's no faster, quicker, or more effective, more powerful way to elicit those feelings in people toward you than to continually put their interests first. Law number four is the law of authenticity, which simply says the most valuable gift you have to offer anyone is yourself, your true authentic self. And law number five is the law of receptivity, which says the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. And that's that cycle. That's the sowing and the reaping. The first law was value. And you said there is a big difference between price and value. What are some ways that we can provide more value than we charge for? Well, you know, it's uh, and that's the key. It's providing more value than you charge for, uh, it, but so that you're still making a significant profit. Now, you know, I bring up the idea of, a, of an accountant who charges, uh, uh, let's say, a thousand dollars, if we can speak in terms of, of dollars, a thousand dollars to do your tax returns, but saves you four thousand dollars in taxes. Uh, you know, he saves you 25 hours of time and he provides you security. Well, maybe the, the price was for, was a thousand dollars, but the value was well over $4,000. So you got much more in value. He gave you much more in value than he took in payment. Yet he also made a significant profit. Well, how do you add more value to people? Well, you do it by, by going out of your way, by returning calls, by making things uh, a little bit nicer. It's, it's, you know, it, it's at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel where, you, where when you say hello uh, to a guest contact employee, they won't say hello to you. They'll say good morning or good afternoon or good evening. When you thank them for something, they won't say no problem. They'll say my pleasure. You know, it's the dentist who, after a procedure, that afternoon personally calls you or at least has one of his or her assistants call you to find out how you're feeling. It's my travel agent who goes out of his way to make sure I get the best prices, the best seats, the best, you know, that I'm taught that he's totally in touch with me and that I know everything that's going on. There's all these ways in business that we can add even more value than just the product or service itself. We simply need to find that way to be uh, of more value. You know, in the, in the book, uh, Ernesto, the, the restaurateur, uh, says to, to, to Joe, uh, tells the difference between the restaurateurs who are, are, are unsuccessful, successful, and mega successful. 
He says the unsuccessful restaurants, aside from the quality of the food, which may be close in all of them, he says the unsuccessful places, they try to give just enough food and service, enough quantity and quality to justify the money they take from their customers. The good restaurant or the successful restaurant strives to give the most value in terms of quantity and quality in exchange for the money they take. But the mega, mega successful restaurant they strive to exceed expectations, to provide such an amazing dining experience that that customer not only wants to come back, that's a given, but that not only that they want to tell people about it, that's a given, but that they want to tell everyone about it. And that's the difference. So we need to constantly find ways to add more and more value uh, to the experience of our prospect customer or client. How important is attitude in all of this? How does our attitude affect our sales and ultimately our bottom line? Well, I, you know, I think attitude is, is, is uh, if not everything, it's the, it's, the, it's the premise for everything. Because the fact is you can have all the skills you want, all the skills you can learn, and you can know every, just about everything. But if your attitude is poor, not only are you going to be less motivated to do what you can do, people are going to sense it. Certainly your coworkers, your employees, and your prospects, customers, and clients are going to sense that in you. And, and have, make no mistake about it, they absolutely will. And that's going to just you know, totally shoot holes in your business. When you've got a great attitude, well, you know, obviously you're starting from a context of, uh, you know, of positivity and making things happen. You're what we call living in the solution instead of living in the problem. So, sure, attitude is, uh, you know, like I say, I've heard, you know, attitude is everything. I don't know if it's everything, but it's really a lot. <laughs> yeah. and in fact, I did a blog post. I, I think I said that. I, I think the title was Attitude Might Not Be Everything, but it certainly is important. Bob, when it comes to selling... How can you sell to someone without them feeling like they're being sold to or that all you care about is getting a sale out of them? How can you avoid that feeling within people and let them know that you are genuine and you do have their best interest at heart? Well, I think I see I see two questions there. Is is one I'm seeing just within the selling process, how do you sell to someone without them feeling like they're being sold to? Well, the the answer is uh, you know, nobody likes people like to buy, they just don't necessarily like to be sold to. So yeah. You know, they need to, to first of all feel as though it, and they, it needs to be something where they are the ones who want it, and at the same time, they need to know that your interest is in more. Your interest is more in helping them than making the sale. But let's understand that doesn't mean they expect that you are not going to make a sale. It's not like they're expecting you to not make money from it or make a commission or what have you. And what happens is, I think a lot of times that's where that treacherous dichotomy comes in. Well, are we a good person or do we want to make money? Well, you know what? If you're if you're helping that person, then you make money. If you're not helping that person, you're not going to make money. So again, it goes back to those first two laws. Are you providing such terrific value that that person wants to do business with you? Great. Well, you know what? The income you make is going to be directly proportional to how many people, you know, how many lives you can add value to. So, um so you know you you help a person to to buy without feeling sold to by truly genuinely putting their interests first and you know what you've got to be able to walk away from a sale if you know it's not in the best interest of the customer and when you do that it's going to come back to you with many more sales but then you might say well, okay bob so are you saying you're doing that only for that reason to no you're doing it cuz it's the right thing to do 
but doing the right thing typically results in really good results. Sure. Sometimes right away, sometimes not right away, you know. But uh, but I think there was another question though that I kind of took in there too, and that is, well, you know, is the person then going to feel the whole process of your being nice to him or her was to sell them something? And you know what? I mean, I, I suppose if that is why a person's just being nice to someone, it will come across that way. But again, it goes back to that false dilemma or treacherous dichotomy. I don't think it has to be one or the other. You're either nice to someone or you're selling someone. You know, the fact is, we make friends with people. Some of those people turn into buyers. Some of those people turn into referral sources. And you know what? Some of those people just turn into nice people that we never do business with. You know, that's just how it is. So, but, uh, but I think it really starts to, you know, the, the process begins by developing those relationships. And, uh, you know, so I don't think it's anything that, that needs to be avoided or anything that that person's ever going to, if you're, if you're, if you genuinely have that other person's interest first, they're going to want to do business with you. They're not going to be thinking, ah, oh, that's why they did it. Because the fact is that's not why you did it. You did it because that's just how you live in your life. And sales and business is also part of your life. So it really, what I like to encourage people to do is as much as possible, when you find yourself falling into that, what we call the either or, you know, that treacherous dichotomy, just kind of get conscious of it and just understand that, you know, life is sort of a a one sort of thing. It doesn't have to be split into a whole bunch of different parts. It can be at times. There's a time and place for everything, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Bob, a lot of my listeners are internet marketers or just regular business owners that are looking to learn to make more sales online. And with the explosion of the internet over the last decade, how can we use these principles online? And especially over the last few years, social media has absolutely just taken over and gotten really big. So how can we use these principles and apply them in an online situation? Well, the principles remain exactly the same. Okay, it's still all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people, not computers, those people they know, like, and trust. So you're still developing those relationships. To me, social media has simply made it easier. Now, it's also made it so that it's easier for the people who network incorrectly to network really incorrectly with a lot more people. These are the people who, when you connect with them on Twitter, what's the first thing you get from them? It's a solicitation to buy something. I mean, would you ever meet someone at a Chamber of Commerce event, at a business social event, at a charity, and as soon as you meet that person, hand them a card and say, I sell so-and-so, buy from me now? Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be unthinkable to do that in person. And yet people do that on Twitter and on Facebook all the time. Okay, so you know what 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 this uh, what social media does is it gives you an opportunity to be able to add so much value to so many more people and in so much less time. And what you can also do though is because people have their profiles usually listed, you can research them first and you can see some of the things that are going on with them. And it just makes it a whole lot easier if you do it correctly. And obviously, to, to go into the how-tos, now we're talking about a whole, you know, another uh, a set of, of, of skills, if you will. But the basic principles stay the same, uh, and that is to develop the relationships by constantly and consistently finding ways to add value to people's lives, connect people with others, uh, you know, do the things that are going to they're going to elicit the no like and trust feelings, not the oh wow this person's just trying to sell me something. 
And just to let everyone know that you actually do practice what you preach, Bob, uh, when we first became Facebook friends, you sent me a message and just said, how's it going? Great to connect with you. Feel free to contact me if you ever need to. And that made all the difference because from there, I did then go on to find out more about you. Um, Also, going back to the earlier topic of having advocates, um, I was recommended your book by Brian Tompkins, a mutual friend of ours, and he told me that your books were a must-read. Brian is just a great guy, and he and his friends, Bradley Will and and, uh, Gilbert and uh, Gabe, they put together a a go-giver tour. Uh, And uh, you talk about using social media by, or I should say, building relationships through social media. I've never seen four people do that more expertly than they did. And you know what? They did it totally to add value to people's lives, and it has absolutely increased their reach and credibility and the relationships with people tenfold, more hundredfold probably. And yet all they were focusing on was what? Adding value to people's lives. Yeah, social media is really helping people who have an important message to share to get it out there and make a big difference in people's lives. Absolutely. And, you know, through social media, the same very, very strong and impactful relationships can be established and can be cultivated. Uh, It just makes it, it it just provides so much more access. But again, with that, that's where, you know, when people do it wrong, boy, do they, can they, you know, it it affects a lot more people and it really, and that's why, you know, we really want to make sure that as we teach, and I I appreciate your doing this, and I I love the value you're adding to people through these calls and through uh, your teaching, that we can really kind of create a context and an environment where the people out there who are, you know, truly have the heart of go-givers uh, are all kind of connecting with each other and we're doing it the correct way. There's always going to be people who are going to do it in the way that's counterproductive and, and so forth. That's just, you know, the way of the world. It's going to happen. But, yeah. you know, the more people we can sort of reach out to and and, uh, and, and have doing it, uh, you know, in a way that is productive, uh, it's going to be the better for everybody. It's going to, as we say, build a much bigger uh, pie. Bob, I just want to thank you for being on the call with me today. Um, I've enjoyed every minute of our time together. Where can we go to find out more about you and also go buy your books? Well, my main website is www.berg.com, and that's spelled B-U-R-G. So it's www.burg.com. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone, who tuned in to today's episode. Take care until next time. Bob, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, well, Joey, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for all you're doing. The Online Marketing Show. Every day with Joseph Bushnell. Helping you to grow your online business by driving more traffic, improving conversion rates, increasing customer value, and getting things done fast. Listen, take action, make money.